0: Hey everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love so the question I always ask everybody, so Sullivan, so good to see you. We've been chatting for a while now. So is what brand you work for and what are your responsibilities?
1: I am the global brand ambassador for Ducé Cognac, as you can see just above there. <laughs> and, and I'm a, basically a promote the spirit. I talk to the PR. I educate bartenders, the trade. It's not only the bartenders, see the waiters. Oh, here's oh. antis.
0: <laughs> There's answers. Everybody's here. The house is full. All right, so I was just asking Sullivan the first question, which is what brand you work for, what are your responsibilities? So Sullivan, continue your responsibilities. So you're educating the trade, the bartenders, great yeah,
1: staff. It's, it's educating anybody that needs to learn, that has to learn, that wants to learn things about cognac. So um, I'm educating them on the category and especially when what you say. And yeah, it's, like, it's mostly like an educational uh, role. I thought there's a really cool side side project I do with recognition, but my the, the main purpose is to educate and deliver the message.
0: That is very cool. So you don't have any sales responsibilities?
1: Not for now. I mean I'm That's working good. with the I'm working with the commercial team on the field, but yeah, I'm more here like to support the, the stuff from them than uh, than me doing an actual sale. I don't speak money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot I of people. You speak product, and that's okay. That's it. the passion of the brand ambassador is what for to convince people to bring in their product and and how to use it. So that's that's the role, right? That's the dream. So Ansis, what what is your what brand do you work for, and where are you based? So I, Sullivan's, based here in New York, originally from Paris, and you are based uh, in Lafayette. So tell us about yes, your brand, weight responsibility.
2: Yeah, well, it's first of all, it's good to see you all, and uh, welcome to this live episode of celebrating the <laughs> brand ambassador. <laughs> My name is Ansis. I'm from Riga, from Latvia. Born here, grew up here. And at the moment, I represent the 100% agave tequila brand Rooster Rojo. I am the ambassador nice. for Rojo, the global ambassador. Yes, I'm still based here in Riga, and we are doing everything from here, trying to work the world. So far, it's just online because of mm-hmm. all the reasons that we know. However, it's fun, new skills to acquire, and just having fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say, this new skills you grow. I think
0: everybody had to learn. It's like we found out who was good on TV and Zoom, sorry, and, and, and doing, you know, almost like performances every, every single week, being able to connect with people over a computer is not an easy talent to do. So yeah, and we all learned, we, you know, things I didn't know, like Instagram Live, and, and how to do Zoom, how to do StreamYard, how to edit videos all the things I never did before. It's like, these are some new skill sets I think that everybody needs to acquire.
2: <laughs> it <is> interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that new skills and everything. So we are, uh, sometimes we do live live cocktail masterclasses or cocktail shows, also via Zoom or Teams call. But to make it more interesting, we would kind of uh, get together with some people from different uh, crafts. Like, let's say uh, there was one example, stand-up comedian, that him and I, we would do uh, the the cocktail show. So he would do some oh, jokes. Fun. I would still do cocktails. So everyone who was at <laughs> that end of the of the of the of the live session, uh, they would have uh, the specific link to join in. But also we sent out like the cocktail kit, uh, obviously with uh, with Rooster Rojo some tequila uh, tequila cocktails in it, like uh, DIY cocktails. So they had to do it at themselves at then. But no from the bartending world. And that comedian oh, wow. guy would, and that comedian guy would do some jokes. And then he says, and I think that during these COVID uh, times, for brand ambassadors, it's the same thing. When you do the tasting, like virtual tasting, yes, you have audience at that end of the channel, and the same is for the comedian guy. So he does a joke, but he can't actually get the response. Yeah, and that's really that's usually hard. Usually, you need to pause a little bit to let everyone clap and let everyone <laughs> kind of calm down to proceed, like yeah. to go to continue. And same as with this, with this live tastings that you do kind of, you don't get that emotion. You don't, you don't get that feeling from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the crowd, when you do the, when you, when you are conducting the show, you, you observe people and you see these emotions, you see these are like reactions in their faces and they mm-hmm. tell you something. And then there's like one particular guy that you want to approach with your next step. You approach specifically him because you saw his reaction in his face. And you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, so, yeah. No, and it's hard when you're doing it via Zoom. Sometimes you don't see anything and people don't respond. And and sometimes people like we teach classes here. I'm here at the, the Lab studio. And that sometimes people don't even have the ingredients or the specific. They're like, no, nah, I'm just watching. You're like, okay, so I'm drinking by myself, I guess.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Sullivan, did you have any problem Like when you're doing, like you spent most of your career so far in COVID time. So, uh, you know, connecting with people. So is there anything you guys were doing?
1: Yeah, we've been doing like a lot of, I did like a lot of trainings. I did train some bartenders back in Africa and Ghana. I did train some like a trade, even like direct consumer. We did some Insta Live with like Fajo, with Clark Kell, DJ Nightwonder. I mean, we did like some really nice interactive experience. Like for example, like we did like a virtual remixer. Remixer is something that we used to do on the field, that we bring Grammy Award the DJ and we basically like draw a line between like the art of mixing drink and the art of mixing music. So we did some of this online, like from like September to, to January, we were doing like once a month. So that was a really good interaction with the with the guys and like just like them sharing their knowledge and the fact that you know to be able to create a new drink, it's good to have a good foundation. As to be able to create a new track, you need to have a good foundation when it comes to music because you need to sample. So basically, we were doing those things. It's hard to interact and engage with people that are watching the live because, like you know, like on Instagram, it's a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like you have to, when you have like the, the, the conversation, you need to pause to make sure people get the, the things together because you're about to, or so you go fast again. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> I've been mean like doing those kind of training to uh, to customers. Like, okay, they're not like as fast, so we need to take the time to pause, and even though you don't have like a feedback. You need to, to learn how to, to make this, this moment of pause for them to, to get the things done.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes oh, you only see it. a few of them on the screen. And it's like, okay, you have to like screen. Like, is everybody at the same place? Does everybody have the bottle in their hand? Does everybody have the, you know, the ingredient? But I think it's clever, you know, to have another element on there. So it's not just you, you know, as entertaining as both of you are. To also have, you know, another, <laughs> another element that kind of, Entertain the guests, so they, you know, there's something else they're getting out of it besides just drinking and and, and learning about spirits. So I think that's really cool. I wanted to find out a little bit because you guys both have a, some very interesting backgrounds before in the hospitality industry before you became brand ambassadors. Uh, let's start with you. Okay. What? So give me a little bit of your like hospitality background because it's very interesting, and I know coming from Latvia, there was definitely some challenges of like, you know, what you had access to. And so, you know, you definitely had to do a couple of different things to get to where you are today.
2: Yeah, well, it's, first of all, for those of you who are not really familiar where where Latvia is, it's like Northern European country. The, the country lies at the Baltic Sea. Across the sea, we have Sweden. So now you probably get a picture where exactly I'm from and where I'm based right now. So it's a tiny country at the Baltic Sea. It's like about 2 point something million people in the entire country. So it's less wow. than in Manhattan, overall. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's so tiny. Yeah, so it's a beautiful country. It's like a proper four seasons country as well. This year we had like a very very good winter, like proper winter time. But back to business. Yes, my background. Uh, it all started in 1994 when I was still in my high school, and uh, I had a don't had go a- back that far. <laughs> <Pardon>? <laughs> no, I'm just busting your chops. I'm like, don't go back that far. Right. So, but still, that, that's that's where that's where I come from, and uh, yeah. Well, it's it was it was summer of 1994 when I had a job offer doing uh, dishes, like basically to be a KP in one one particular restaurant here in Riga, just to make some extra cash in between school and summer break. And so I I said yes, why not? And I was in the kitchen just doing all the all the dirty work that you can imagine, like a KP. Yeah, pretty much and working like scheduled the rotation like four days on four days off or something like that but then i had to go back to school uh, to my last grade and i had a phone call from the same company from the same guys saying that hey we need a barback we are so busy that we need a barback so technically i'm the first official barback in the country because back then no one actually knew what what, what that was <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: seriously. i mean job. it you know, because it was—it's—it's a—it's a new market, and uh, we were just out from from the from the Soviet Union when we got our independence back as an independent independent country, and the everything was new, even like bartending, like our our area, our everything was new, and no one knew actually what it is like how to do it properly. So wow. when they offered me this bar 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 job, and back then I was I can totally in rock and roll like long hair and everything, you know, turn apart jeans and and piercings and stuff. But uh, I wasn't able to do that because I had to be behind the bar. So I was like uh, with the ponytail, with the, with the black turtleneck up here, you know, like <laughs> like all the polite. You were very well dressed bar back. Which, well, that was that was the rule. I had to yeah. be like that. So that taught me some things actually. That taught me back then what I learned from that was that it doesn't matter what you are on the street, but when you do some particular job, you have to change. And this is what you are here, right? kind of like an actor on a stage or something like that which is like yeah, a cliche but that that was definitely a good lesson lesson for me and then i was observing those two guys those two bartenders and they were like kind of like super skilled but they were different one was absolutely calm and you know like a, like a swan like going going on the, in a pond right the other one was like this and that, and that. So like flipping bottles around and stuff and trying to impress uh, people and girls would sit at the bar like this just watching him and like <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, wait a minute, that's actually a, like the coolest job on the planet. This is definitely what I want to do. So that is where it all started, thanks to those two guys. Right. Wow. One was literally like flare guy and super, I mean, not flare like flare flare, but he was flaring and flirting mm-hmm. and stuff. The other one was like absolutely like, you know, Las Vegas Bellagio, like, you know, calm, easy, quiet, like... Like like,
0: Salvatore Calabresi.
2: Calabresi (laughs) or Neil Groff, like something like that. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. But like very young back then. So, yeah, Yeah. those... I'm going to pause you
0: one second. I'm going to pause you one second because I want to ask Sullivan, what was your first job in the industry?
1: My first job in the industry, I was a waiter in a restaurant in Paris. So I, I dropped, like, I was at university studying engineering, and then uh, when I discovered that I was about to spend my whole life, like behind a computer, I decided that wasn't the direction I wanted to take. Even though last year COVID got me to work that much in the, behind a <laughs> <the> computer. <laughs> but we have to adapt, right? And uh, by chance, I mean, like, I've i always been like happy to to connect with people and willing to, to learn more from like my other people. So I decided to drop uni and to turn myself into the hospitality. But I still had like a big expectations. So I didn't really want to Work as a random restaurant, so I entered like a catering management school. So I did like three years there, got a bachelor, but like through my three years of master, not bachelor, I was working in a restaurant on the side. So that's where I learned. I remember like the very first day, the the manager that got me into the the, the studio was like, okay, this is this is like the, the the floor was like timber. I was like, okay, this is a timber. Uh, we're artists. We are here to deliver a presentation and to to deliver like a, an act to our, the people that comes in to to have dinner. So, be the act, and so I have fun on this floor because this is yours. So that's the very very first advice I had in this job. They were like, okay, this is your your theme. Enjoy and uh, deliver the magic. And wow, this a is. Kind of research.
0: That this is your stage, and, and that—that's that, actually a pretty good lesson to to give somebody. And Anzis, I know you actually got some great lessons. It was a woman—I couldn't believe this actually, because not saying this because it was like so unbelievable—but you were actually taught. You learned a lot about bartending from a woman. And this in the 1990s, leading like a bar school, correct? Who taught you all that, Because as you said, you were coming from a post-communist, where you didn't have much products behind a bar, you didn't have any books. Because the big thing is having books translated right into your language. So learning about cocktails. And there was no Google, right?
2: Yeah, there was no, there was no Google back then. Yes, it was end of 90s, <laughs> something like... In, uh, like 1998, 99, something like that. When I got to properly into a bar school and uh, had all the lessons and uh, everything that I the, that I knew at the beginning was from our own here, uh, Bartenders Association, which was run by, uh, by this one lady back then. Her name is Svetlana. So she taught me pretty much all the basics that that I should know back then. And that opened the door to the world of bartending and everything that's kind of which direction you have to go to learn these things and that things. and da, da, da. Uh, As you mentioned, yes, there was no books as well. Few of them were translated. We had one cocktail book, which was literally translated with all these, <laughs> what I say, boring classics back then, but it was boring then. Now I realize actually that these classics are the base of everything. And this is exactly <laughs> what, what we had to learn. But back then, it was boring. Same as, like, when when you are 22 years of age, you definitely don't understand how can someone actually drink gin and tonic. Jack and Coke, that's exactly what you need, right? Or a shot of tequila. But gin and right. tonic, Campari soda, oh, wait a minute, come on. Now, when I'm, like, into 40s, I really understand, actually, that this is the drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: I love the fact that a lot of your drinks were based around orange juice. It was like a Harvey Wallbanger and like Screwdrivers. And I remember those were the drinks back then. God, I hate orange juice. So like those were never
2: my jam. Well, <laughs> orange juice and Screwdriver for me, that was still actually in, in high school when we first got drunk with, with our mates. It was vodka orange. And since then, actually, <laughs> even if it's plain orange juice, it tastes to me a little bit like uh, with a shot of stale in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we all we all
0: have those experiences. But you also went over to London, right? And bartended there yeah, for I, quite I few like years. nearly
2: 5 years in in London in I was working in Covent Garden for uh, for the company called Maxwells Group and so I was uh, managing the bar there of uh, Navajo Joe which was a tequila bar and uh, we had a quite quite a big uh, collection of tequilas. It was about 180 different bottles of tequilas and mezcals together. So yeah, it was it was good number of shelves to jump around and just to try all of them, and which I did. Is that
0: where your love of tequila
2: came from? Well, actually, no. It came it came a little bit earlier, but that was absolutely the perfect background for me, like like the right battlefield. I, again, again, I'm talking army, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That you was... do
0: like your army references? I, li- I like it. I, I guess there well, is. Thank God, like, God I'm, I'm
2: getting camouflage.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank, thank, thank goodness for this. And then Sullivan, you also come from an interesting like you said. You started off as a as a waiter, and then you moved on to there to owning your own bars. I don't know if there were stops in between.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, there, there, there was many stops in between. As a waiter, that's funny because we share something uh, and this. So as a waiter, I was so I moved to London to work on my English when I was 19, like nineteen twenty, and I became like head waiter of a fine dining restaurant in the city. And this bar had a really great cocktail program. So that was the first time that I really like kind of like witnessed cocktails. But the thing is like I witnessed it like from like a high standard point of view already. But they were like just like doing like Simon Default cocktails. So back in those days, like you know, like when those default books were coming out, they were like amazing cocktails. And that was like back twenty ten. So there's a couple of years after you were <laughs> <laughs> empty. Quite a few like, later. later. And and the thing is like, so when I went back to France, I had like this, uh, this idea, okay, after I the hospitality, after the, wait, as the waiter, I became like store manager for fine dining. So I felt that I had like reached my, my my stop at this moment. So I was like, okay, I need to learn something else. I knew that I had some creativity in me and I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to go in the kitchen because I love to cook. And, and the thing that like having those like three years on the floor with the interaction with the consumer, I was like, yeah, no, actually I, I need to start on the floor. And bartending for me was the right in between, exchanging with the customers and using my credibility. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do as bartenders, you know? And so I went back to France and I started bartending again. So from like being a store manager, I became like a, like a, to the bar back. And the, and the very first person who gave me my chance in a bar was Sandrine Oudre-Gregoire, which basically was the first lady at the, a, at the, a, like head bartender position. I want to say in France. I would wow. say in Paris for sure, but I want to say so in both France your both like, your
0: careers I, were started by women.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. going <laughs> wow. to like you If you watch, if you Academy, Saint-Brin, thank you forever. Thanks for so yeah. So I started a bartending, and because I was like studying like a kind of like a high uh, fine standards, I started as a bartender in hotel Cop- uh, in hotel bars. I was like, uh, just and a couple of years uh, before me, before I started uh, bartending in the hotel bars, there was like the, segment, the cocktail club segment 22nd that opened and they were the one who brought the street cocktail uh, culture in France. Oh, really? And so, yeah, so after like, doing like a year in the uh, in hotel bars, I found out that I could be actually like walking behind a bar, without having to wear a uniform and being myself, don't have to shake and grow my hair. And then that's what happened. Like we were working experimental because they're like, okay, we're gonna make a pass cocktail. You have to look elegant, but look yourself. And then that's how I started. Like really like getting into like the whole concept of bartending and understanding like, the global picture of it. Because when I started, I was just like, yeah, I want to learn how to make cocktail because I want to open a bar one day. And uh, so I need to learn that. And uh, and yeah, so I've been working. Like I've been lucky. I would say fortunate to be at the right place at the right moment. I do feel that or maybe it's because I just like took this opportunity to make it the best out of it, whether I feel like I have a good style above me and so like. I oh, Sullivan, I was like, going to say
0: it's a combination probably of the both because a lot of people are at the right time at the right moment. But if you're not open to opportunities because you're not prepared in life to take that next jump, it can yeah. pass you by. You know it, it is a lot about being ready like you need to like the opportunity is there but you're like still like not organized or you're not in a place in your life that you can accept that opportunity and then it can just go so you probably had a little bit of combination of, of both
1: yeah for real, I, mean, I, had, I had a big vision I was like, i want to do good in, in in the industry i want to work in and uh, and so yeah so I, I felt the opportunities and if anything that before uh, when I was in London, that's when I discovered cognac. So I had to be in London in another country to discover cognac. I was working in the restaurant. I was staying here and, and it was part of a group. So I had a dinner in uh, one of the, the restaurants of the group, which could call, which is called Pond Tour. And the head bartender was coming, a good friend of mine. And at the end of the dinner, he gave me like this massive Napoleon of, uh, of cognac. It was like a really expensive cognac. Um, <laughs> I, I think I had something like 700 to 900 pounds of like, in my glass at this time. But it was a head mouth on there, uh, you know, I could make wow. it out of it. And, uh, and so the thing is I had so much in my glass that I that I could actually taste it. Because you know, when you get like one ounce or two ounces, like you just like it, but you don't. I could like take big sip of it. And so I had like so much like perfume, everywhere, not much flavors, aromas. And I, and I often refer to to Rata when he's when he's eating like this piece of cheese and the bed, like fireworks in his mouth. That's exactly what happened. And basically at this time I was like twenty. And like, the first spirit that I learned to appreciate. And then after I became bartender, and so I learned and I opened my as my uh...
0: so you guys both have that in common though, like the fact that you both like fell in love with your spirit that you're now working on in London. How funny is yeah. that? You're both from different countries, you know, and you both went to London and you discovered it. And granted, back then, Especially, you know, I don't know what it was like in 1998, but I know by 2005, just that London was kicking America's ass when it came to everybody's ass when it came to cocktails and, and the cocktail scene. So, if there's any place you're going to start your career, that is a, definitely an incredible place to start it. And the fact you're able to then take that knowledge back to your own countries and, and utilize it is really incredible. And I want to talk about your cocktail, your, sorry, your category knowledge because you know, becoming as a brand ambassador, obviously you need to become, you know, experts in your category, right? And it might not happen all at once, but obviously you also have to have a love for that category itself. And so I wanna talk about like some of the best practices of, and I'm gonna make sure I read this correctly. Some of the best practices of the companies that you work for or are working with that has helped you deepen your knowledge, because you know, what are some of the trainings that you have received, not just in the company you are now, but maybe in the past. And what are also some of the things you're doing for yourself, you know, to help you get better at, at what you're doing as a craft and as a brand ambassador? Elensis, I will start with you. How did you? I know you have some great stories from when you started at William Grant and some of the things you're doing now.
2: Yeah, shall, shall I also mention the, these William Grant stories? or? Is it just? Yeah, sure. Whatever you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, it's they're they're great. They're great stories, and there's nothing to nothing. There's no regrets, and everything's so cool. And I'm so actually thankful for everything I know and everything I learned from from these guys, especially um, like all the global ambassadors that were looking after us back then. So and master distillers who worked with with particular brands that's within the portfolio of William Grant's. And by the way, actually, I want to jump on off from, from the topic for a second with Sullivan. Yeah. Does the name Tim Ward rings a bell?
1: Tim Ward from O'Keefe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a brother. He's a brother. Oh, so, exactly.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking about because we met, you and I, we met. Are you and I? Ward in Syndicate, in Paris. Oh,
1: wow. Oh, yes, wow. I, was, I was actually,
2: okay. I was looking at this face and I was like, kind of, God, I, I definitely have seen this person. Uh, <laughs> We were out with, with the team Monkey, and I'd say maybe five, six years ago with all the ambassadors. Dean Hallen was the global ambassador back then. Yeah. And from Canada. Tim Ward from France. Myself from here. Grant Neef from UK. So, and we,
1: actually, we were doing like the, the boot camp? Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. And like 50 kilometers out, away from outside Paris. And then from there, we came to Paris for a few days and we went to see you in your, in your bar. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's why that's, I, mean, I can't use to describe it, so I guess it's true. <laughs> <laughs> what what is what small... You it. tell me like you've been to syndicate and all of this, like, you know, is this being true? Yeah, definitely, okay, I get it.
2: <laughs> yes, wow. yes, and you were running your ass off like so crazy and busy behind the bar back then. I remember that. They were not that, really
0: that...
1: busy back then. This this is yeah. the world
0: of being a brand ambassador. That's why it's such an incredible job, right? You travel around the world, you get to meet some some amazing people. What yeah. what, what a great memory! That's amazing. Yeah, I was I was
2: I was looking at this face and it was like, kind of. There's definitely I have so when I didn't. Well, I was. I was He's it's hard to forget. And yes, that's exactly what it's. So sorry, sorry. That's uh, okay. So yeah, so getting back just this one is so
0: it's about sharing best practices. So it's more about like you know, every brand has training programs and how they introduce people to spirit. So maybe sharing some of the stories of like, some of the best practices that you took from laying grants, like if everybody could do this, like, I would recommend they do these things. These are the things they did with me. And they really made an impact on me. These are the things I'm doing now, like, and these are the things I've done for myself. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does.
2: It does. So shall I start? Yeah, or Solomon? Yeah,
0: go for it. Yeah.
2: You go, go, Mike. Yes. Uh, the best practice is definitely one thing that you, what I say is if the company can offer you um, some training program, that's great. And if the training program actually is from where it all happens, I mean, the, the country or the place where you produce that particular product that you work for, in my case, it was with Scotch whiskey, now it's tequila. So, and if you, are, if you have a chance to go there and experience it yourself, not just from PowerPoint presentations or from some calls or, or like you know, some just like print off papers. That is definitely much better. If you can contact your uh, master distiller or your master blender at any stage when you need any question, when there's any question that you have to ask, and if you have a direct kind of email to contact the guy or the person anyway, so uh, yeah, that tell us that, why
0: that works. Tell us you have to, you have a great case of like how. How you
2: utilize that connection for yourself? Yeah, I did. that was still my when when I was still with William Grant's, and that was I was doing the Glenfiddich presentation and Glenfiddich tasting to 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 the group of people, and there was this one smart ass in the room, always oh, like like you know, I mean, I, he wasn't like kind of sitting like this and like like I'm not interested, but he would throw in these kind of you know comments for once in a while that made him kind of look smart in the room. That actually that. He wanted to show that he's the smartest in the room oh yeah uh, with all the people who are in the, in the audience right so just show yeah, off we've all been there <laughs> yeah, yeah well it's fine it's, it's great and still no it's not thanks hey, for I coming like. <laughs> yeah and then what I would say to him is like thanks for coming or whatever or whatever your reaction was, you know. And then he asked me one question, which was a tricky question and not really related to that particular thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but still within within whiskey category, but not really related to what actually I was going through back then. And I said, well, I can't give you that answer, my friend, right now. But I definitely can contact Brian Kinsman, who is our malt master, and he definitely must know. So. If you allow me just one minute, I'll just jump on my email and I'll send him an email. And that was within working hours. You know, it wasn't like crazy, like evening tasting. It was daytime. So there's, and even there's two two hours time difference in between Riga and Scotland. So they're two hours behind. So now in Riga, it's 11 p.m. In Scotland, it's nine. So it was actually benefit for me. That would kind of mean that Brian is still on duty. (laughs) So I sent him an email just saying like, I'm like emergency, blah, 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 blah. And while I was still doing my my masterclass, the email came came back from him, saying, "Here's an answer." And actually, he 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 sent me like an attachment as well as a document. Here it is, and you can, <laughs> everything's explained here. So I just connected that thing to the screen and I showed it to everyone. Like you wanted to to know, here you go, bam. And he was yeah. like, "Sorry, that's that's amazing." <laughs> In an hour, you actually get an answer. So if there is anything that you can get something like that, that is definitely a must have thing. That would be a best practice and use it as much as you can. That would be my, my, I I think that is, I think that's fantastic. And I definitely agree that you need to go to the brand home. You
0: need to experience it because then you can talk about the brand with passion and have your own stories. Like while I was there and while I was in the mill and while I was doing this and I saw this and I met Betsy and she, she does, you know, she, whatever it is. And it gives you a a more authenticity when you're able to tell a story. Being able to connect with the distiller, like on an instant, I've heard Dave Mitten talk about this from Lot 40, and he had the same thing, a wise ass in the audience asking him questions. And he was like, I don't know that. Let me me just, you know, check. And, you know, getting texts back and forth and was able to answer the question. So Sullivan, do you have a... And I want to talk about your experience in tequila as well. I just want to get from Sullivan. For you, like where... Have you been to the brand home yet?
1: Yeah, I've been to the brand home like many times already. I mean, like within the two years, I, I would say I've been like six, seven times. But I would say like, the, the thing is like, for me was the like, kind of yeah. easier to jump into the, the world of uh, brand but not for cognac. Because so for the one who don't know, so I opened a bar called uh, the Syndica in Paris, which is the very first cocktail bar using only fresh alcohol. And this relates to the very first time I was in London and I enjoyed Cognac. So from this moment, I thought I fell in love with Cognac. I just made sure that through my back at the standard career, to always have a Cognac cocktail on the menu because I I found that it was like a lack in many bars back in then. Now we can see like more often a cocktail, a Cognac cocktail out of the sidecar that is not time Classic, but so I always made sure to have like a Cognac cocktail and then I open the a syndica. And so because I the play syndica using only French alcohol, I was like, okay, I'm coming with a strong concept. I need to know what I'm talking about. So the cool thing about using a local ingredient is that I could easily take my car, go with my bartenders, go with my go with my partners, to visit those producers. So I did personally visit like, I would say at least 70 percent of the, the, the alcohol producers that are in the wow. at the syndica. So, which is good cool because you can you bring a story. So, if this brand is in my back bar, it's because of this and that and that. You know, and then so I did focus a lot in cognac, Calvados, Armagnac, and then I got like certified from the BNIC, which is the the office that rules the whole cognac category, mm-hmm. uh, as a as a cognac educator. But this was nice. when I was like uh, bar owner, so I I, I had to dig. Deep into cognac because I wanted to deliver the the message to uh, to my consumer because like the whole mission of Syndica is to change the mentalities and the perception of people like when it comes to cognac, to all the other French spirits that are like known forever but are not used at all. And so before joining Duxey, I was already like well versed in cognac. Mm-hmm. So I, I, like, it, for me, it was more important actually to to be in the brand home to speak with Michel you the seller matter. And to know all the interesting of this thing, because I knew already right. about connect. So if I had to learn the whole no, thing, that's about great. And LBC, that would have been like a lot to digest. Today I feel good yeah, in my shoes because I have like this connect knowledge, and then the juice knowledge that I can bend together.
0: No, I think which is fantastic to have those building blocks to start from, and and you know, which is it really does help you to have that base knowledge. Like I tell everybody now, at least if you can understand, you know, I, I recommend dec- definitely taking the WSET because their spirits program is now is really ramped up and if you can at least understand distilling and fermentation and bar- like how all spirits are made it gives you such a great starting place even if it's not the category specific but just understanding that because if you have to start from zero and not even understanding distillation or ferment that's a whole nother level of knowledge oh, yeah. you have to build oh, upon oh, which is oh, which oh, is yeah. a lot it's so so much to learn and answers you you like tequila you start you learned about it you started You knew about it already, as you said, but then working in tequila bar definitely kind of helped enhance your knowledge of the category and your love of it. So where did you like really dive deep into tequila?
2: Is it when or where?
0: I know. I guess how did you do it? Like, how did you up your knowledge? Like, what are some of the things you've done to really understand tequila at a
2: different level? Okay, it's, uh, yeah, well, uh, when I was, okay, in uh, in London, in this uh, Bajo Joe Bar times, I met one Mexican guy who is a great friend of mine. So we're, we're still connected and we still keep in touch. His name is Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. He's Mex- and there was one day when I actually, I, ju- I just asked him, when was the last time you saw your mother? <laughs> and he was, like, uh, I can't remember, maybe eight or something a month ago. He said, maybe we shall go. You know, you just... Take me on a trip. So we just jump on a plane and we just go to Mexico. I said, that, that's a good idea. So him and myself and my wife, we just went for a trip to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time in Mexico. And obviously, we went to Tequila Town. And we spent a like few days around. And that was the first Time when I actually I saw a live tequila distillery, a real tequila distillery, and we we saw a few. We visited a few, kind of the same as you know within one category. There's no much of difference, but mm-hmm. some approach, you know. And this is this was when I realized that many distilleries are not producing just one type of like brand that we know, as it is in Scotch whiskey. Like it, let's say right. if it's glenfitic, they just make Glendic. So over there, there can be a name of distillery, but under on one roof. You actually produce many brands. Same as mm-hmm. for now, the, the company I work for right now. Fabrica de Tequilos Finos, right? It's a name of the distillery. But within the distillery, we make Ruster Rojo, we make Cenote, there is ACDC, Thunderstruck, Tequila, and many which are just for domestic markets. So they just remain in Mexico. So and that was the first thing that I would learn there. And and since then, I said that's it. That this is something I really, really would like to learn. And then I got into one competition in London and they flew me out to Mexico again to learn it properly as what is it like from the soil up to the clay bottles and and stuff like that. So that gave me also another additional kind of education on this. And now since I work for Rojo, obviously I went back again uh, to the same tequila town where our distillery lies as well on the very boundaries of the town. And uh, again, together with the master distiller, Arturo Fuentes, who is in the craft for about 40 years already. Like in wow. tequila, and by the way, he actually worked for for one cognac company early at the early times. Oh
1: really?
2: <laughs> I can't tell you which one was it. It was, was the
1: same it. World. Yeah, it so is oh, yeah, world. It was the same world.
2: Yeah, and so he would he would give me lessons. Plus, you read some some literature about tequila, also about uh, Mexican history as well, some Mexican culture books. Something like that, That not, not books or articles, or whatever. So that's all together, because I prefer when, when you go out and you talk about the brand that you represent, even if it's tequila now or that was whiskey back then, you don't talk that much about that particular thing, but you give them your audience, you give that kind of information about overall picture of what country does it come from. So what mm-hmm. do people, what do people eat? Some jokes from their like uh, local countries or something like that. You know, and people like that. It's not just kind of you know that you can actually find on internet or put on a PowerPoint and, and on your back. You know, just you know facts, facts, facts. It's I believe it's better than than you than you dress up this topic in a fancy mm-hmm. dress and offer them something that they would not even expect to hear from you at the moment. But they're like, oh yeah, that's cool mm-hmm. actually. I didn't know that. I did not realize that. And then probably they would go online and they would try to to search up for something. And that name will pop up again, and they will remember you as the guy who delivered that kind of messages and that information. So that's the way I prefer to work. And um, yeah,
0: no, I think that, that that is a fantastic way to work because I was talking to Daniel Jones, who if you ever met him, he's the Angus brand global brand ambassador. He's he truly he's amazing. And also Ian Burrell is also another. He's they, they they're storytellers. They tell incredible stories, and they they just. And, uh, you know, as Ian said to me, he said, Elaine, I, I don't believe in just like being nerdy and like rum facts and talking about distillation and, you know, temperatures and yeast. He's like, I just tell stories. I get them so wrapped up in like the category and why they should love rum and then whatever rums I'm representing that, you know, they're just so in- intrigued that they just want to love whatever I'm loving because I seem so into it. Like, you know, and I think that's a big thing. And, and a lot of brand ambassadors, it's a good lesson because they get so nervous that they have to know so many facts because so, they're like new. They might be new and they learn that they most of the time you don't have to give half the facts. You just have to give a few, and it's more about your passion and how you feel about about yeah. it that will come across more. And um, another thing,
2: additional thing that I'd like to add here is, it's if you can put it like in a com- comparison. If you are there, if you push towards about this, then there would definitely be a reaction that now kind of you know no. If if you're trying to push, but if you kind of offer. On a very kind of friendly basis and very innocent, kind of just here I am, just take it if you want, but I'm not pushing. Right. And I can give you an example. If there is a person who doesn't like any type of particular music, whatever it is, and if you try to make him to listen to this particular music every single day, he would definitely like put a wall and he would never yeah. talk to you because he's he has he he's had enough, right? Like no, listen to the song. No, listen to the song. Listen to the song. You know, and he said no. But if you appear in front of him like every second day wearing the same kind of Guns N' Roses t-shirt or something like that, at the end of the day, he will just force himself to kind of. oh, listen. But what is that that you're wearing? Can I can <laughs> I try yeah. something like
1: that? Yeah, well, that's I, a really good example. That is that's a great. Exactly that is a great example.
2: example. Yeah. If if you push, yeah. they will go away. But if you just flat It has to it be
0: around, organic. Yeah, it does have to be organic. I mean, for you guys, it leads into the question I had for you because you, you're you both working, you know, a little bit differently, obviously, you know, working in, in the Baltics and in Europe on tequila. I know it's not easy because a lot of people don't drink tequila and, and it's not as popular of a category. And so you you're going to
1: come to the U.S. How do you put me in here? Yeah, everybody drinks tequila here.
0: Everybody everybody drinks tequila. It must be frustrating here. But the same thing for you, Sullivan, where it's like you know, you are working for a cognac brand, and people have different perceptions of cognac, you know, and like where they're utilizing it. So I I would love to hear you know a little bit about the what are some of the challenges for you and working, especially in America, about the people's perception of cognac and how they're drinking cognac and. You know, how are you organically trying to get them to accept it in a different way and to learn about it?
1: That That is funny because, you know, like, even though, like, I opened So the reason, just to go back to the syndicate, because it's, it's yep. important, is that when I opened syndica I learned from the, from the cognac uh, regions that 98% of the cognac is exported. So we don't drink our own spirits, right? And uh, why we don't do that? Because we have, like, this kind of, like, mindset that is, like, a An ancestral alcohol that our grandparents used to drink and it's a digestive, that's the only way you drink cognac. So it's one way to drink cognac, but there's like so many different ways. So, and then I moved to the US, So I opened syndica and just like wanted to bring back those like dusty bottles on the front line Mm -hmm. by making cocktail with it because like this is how people drink today. And it's funny because like people are still surprised of like using cognac in cocktails, but like when you look into like the very first cocktails that was creating like the 1850s, they were made with brandy. At this time, when they were calling brandy, they were like mostly calling for cognac. Yeah, and uh, and the thing is that cognac has been like a main actor in the in the cocktail culture, and uh, and like so I did that in in the in the in France to bring back the, those memories, and then moved to the U.S. and like cognac is completely different, like a kind of like a nightclub lifestyle product. So they have their way of drinking it here with like a cognac and mixers. And so I do believe like one of my mission is to bring this day inside the cocktail because i already like performing in like nightclubs and like lifestyle uh, uh, places. But like, I think like something that is interesting is just like to keep on like promoting and supporting those accounts, but also to bring into cocktails. And, uh, and the thing that like, because of my background I about them there slash bar owner slash like pushing brandies in uh, in the cocktails I think I have like some uh, some good assets to to go and speak with the uh, bar owners like mixology account mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I mean the, the, there's many things to do with, with you say with cognac and I think it's important to hmm.
0: what do you think is the big pushback? what do you think is it for most people to use it in a cocktail?
1: A lack of knowledge. Okay. Okay. Of course, of course, I mean like there's a lack of knowledge because like as I said, like in America it's like really like Afro American culture, are kind of like, kind of, like street So there's this kind of like the oh. whole world of cognac like, is like in America, there's like the the, the black community that is like supporting Queen, like, because back in the days when the like World War Two, the, the black soldier were kind of like staying in the sausage fence. So they drink Cognac, so they broke Cognac back in the country. Really? You know, like a, The synonym of like a luxury and premium. And so that's-
0: I did not know that.
1: Why, yeah, that's that, like, like, we are we, we, uh, surprised when we see Cognac in like hip hop and all of this, but it, it, it comes from that because that was, this is a synonym of success. And uh, and so that's how Cognac is perceived here. So there's like this mentality to, to change. I mean, I like, want to change because like, this is seen as a premium product, and it is a premium product. And so now the other thing is that like it's always the, the most expensive spirit that you have in your well as a there. But the whole thing is that like once you understand the whole process of how to make cognac, you understand the price point. So, yeah, for sure, it's always, like, cheaper to, to use a tequila, vodka or or some, like, gin or anything that's, like, great spirit because, like, more accessible cognac and tequila as well, like, needs a lot of local ingredients and like, and I justify mm-hmm. the price. And like, I would not say like, I would mean like Like, It's not my world, but like in terms of like, uh, Blanco, or Reposado, we still kind of like, below like three years, between three to five years, let's say like for like nero While a Cognac, when you go for like DCVSOP, the youngest olive inside the bin I should have been more four years. So you have like, you're sitting on product. So this is this is like some money that's like, you know, that doesn't move for like, at least four years. So there's like mm-hmm. a lot of reason why the, the, the price is not like it's a the product and we sell it high. It's like the whole process from the grapes to the bottle, it's really, really like intense. And yeah, at the end of the day, it is, it is expensive to, to, to make cognac. <laughs> but I mean, like, I would say like it's not that expensive. When you when you play with the, the product and you you can have a high-end cocktail.
0: No, of course you can. But you it's know. also, I think it's also the lack of knowledge because there isn't as many people making cognac cocktails out there. So people don't know how to mix it. There's not as many classics to make twists off of so it's like where do we go from there so i think it's going to take you have to create an entire new uh, category of just classics just with uh you i know there's more than the sidecar but yeah some more of the and teaching doing you should do i, I would love i would go to a cocktail academy by you on uh, just like cognac cocktails and teaching people how to how how to how to mix and
1: it's that know, is like, that's why right yeah. i'm here that is very I like different
0: it. Different. I, I I I it would be fantastic. And what is and getting tequila in in Europe, I know is not easy to do. And I know you've done some things. What is the biggest challenge for you like uh, getting people to drink
2: tequila? <laughs> what is their so, perception um, of tequila? Yeah, well, if I mean also in 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 US that is the way easier rather than here in Europe, specifically in in Baltic area where people like tequila is very very kind of new for them, right? And the biggest challenge is to convince them that your memories from tequila are very, very wrong. These memories, <laughs> And I can tell you why you have these memories. And I always go like this. And that is, that is a challenge because I, I really try to make people listen to me trying to convince them that I know where do your memories come from, your bad memories about tequila. And I always go like this. Okay, let me tell you, like, where do you have this, like, bad memory from? It was Friday or Saturday, most likely Friday, when you and your friends decided to get together. So you met in a pub for a pint, one or two. Then after that, you probably had like a burger or a kebab or something like, not a super fancy food, right? Over there, there also was a pint of beer or some lager or some cider or whatever. Then after that, you left for a cocktail bar. You had a few kind of like, you know, Manhattans or or whatever cocktails. From there, it went to a late-night bar where you probably met some girls and there were like some skinny <laughs> going on or Cuba Libras or something like that. Then after that, you moved to a nightclub for some Jaeger shots. God knows what else did you do in the toilets or outside, like, you know. <laughs> and then at 4 a.m. in the morning, just one hour... You
1: being morning, the tequila.
2: <laughs> ...one task yeah. appears like with a line of tequila. Like, guys, let's <laughs> have a shot, right? And then you go to bed, and early in the morning when you wake up, not early in the morning, but when you wake up next day, you have a massive headache, you can barely open your eyes, and the first thing that you remember is this goddamn tequila shot. (laughs) And why do you blame tequila? Why Why do you not blame the rest of the evening that actually was done before? (laughs) All the sambukas and, like, I don't know, whatever it was. No, no, that's fine. Just tequila is the one to take the blame? No, it's incorrect. So, and please let me (laughs) allow you to change the perception of that. So it
1: that
0: so so true. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. We've all yeah. been there like, should we have yeah, shot, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's is, there is this one uh, stand-up comedian who does this kind of like 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 basically your stomach is a bouncer.
1: Yeah. You've not seen I it? Saw that one. Did yeah, yeah, see. I feel that one, yeah.
2: Yeah, so and yeah, he, it there's, now, like, there's like this and that coming in, and there's like your stomach is a nightclub, yeah. So, and then there's a bouncer kind of waiting and letting people in, but people are like different, different drinks. So it starts with a beer and then he goes different accents. If it's Heineken, then he does a Dutch accent. Yeah. When it's Sambuca, he does Italian <laughs> accent. So this is that. And then there's like the cheeky Mexican sneaky kind of trying to get in. Like, and there's one, there's always 13 another, and they just like try to sneak in, you know, <laughs> and then the bouncer says that's enough. Everybody out. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> everybody
1: throws up. <laughs> oh
2: but we, o- we only
0: condone responsible drinking on the show. Just responsible drinking, just for anybody watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is, it uh, absolutely. I, well, all right. So, no, th- these are great stories. All right, guys. I know mm-hmm. we're, we're getting out to about an hour here. But I also, what I did want to talk about was a little bit, because I think something you should, I would love to hear you share, and I know, obviously know your stories, but I think be interesting for other people to share is, why you decide to make a move to become a brand ambassador like Sullivan? You went from being a bar owner to becoming a brand a brand ambassador and moved countries, right? You changed countries, you changed careers, and and, and since you you know worked for William Francis and then you changed after and I know you loved it and then you changed to a tequila company, you know and those are can be risky. You know people, some people don't have the I'd say balls to, take the, to make those big moves, but it's no other way to say it. So, tell it me like you know, for you, what what appealed to you about being a brand ambassador?
1: Well, so you know, I put myself in a... In a when I opened Syndica. My uh, my first purpose was to educate people on French alcohol because of my love of cognac, and and this is something that like the my love of cognac started like before being ambassador. So that's a ten years loop basically, and and so. I, as a, as a bartender, I started as a bartender, I was like, okay, I have a vision, I want to open my own bar. So I met, after like a few years of like bartending, I met Romain, and we decided to open a bar together, it was with Syndica. Then we opened La Commune. So I was like, okay, out of my dream, I wanted to open one bar and I opened two. And then this offer came, and I was like, okay, maybe like, I, I, I've done what I wanted to do, and I'm curious about learning new things. The cool thing, it was like, I've never really considered about being a brand ambassador, but the the cool thing is like, I've been a I've been a so I know what you like in brand ambassadors and what you don't like in brand ambassadors. So I thought that this was already like a strength to have, because I've been like understood and I know how to to interact and engage with people. And then I got like the the offer of representing the category that I love, moving to the US a country that I don't know, and being global. So this would like lead me to travel and discover the world and keep on educating, on the point I love, I mean, like there was, there was nothing that was holding me back in Like I felt like I did what I had to do in France and I was ready to move on. And so I moved on, got married with my, with my wife, got a baby, started a new job. The whole <laughs> thing is, is new, it's a new chapter. So I didn't really feel pressure or challenges to embrace this new, this new position. I just like, it's, it's all about like taking it in, taking it in. So I'm loving it. If I'm minute, okay, for it, anybody it else who is considering
0: to... it, for anybody else who is considering it, no, those are all great points, and I, I love the fact that you know you, you you know yourself so well, and you know, you know your life. You're so self aware of like what you've done and what you've achieved, and where you can go, which is is always a very impressive quality, and it's something that I think it, it becomes with age as we get older. Hopefully, we can all be you know you get more self aware and you understand what you're capable of, and. What you have achieved in your life, which is a great place to be, and says a lot about you as, 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 a, as a person. But also, you know, for somebody else who might be considering making that drastic career change, you know, you would you wouldn't just go to any company, would you? Did you uh, choose like you were like or any role? Like you didn't just be like, I want to be a brand ambassador. This was something. That
1: no, 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 no. So, so I will remember that this is this is a Bacardi uh, love affair. So as a, as a bartender back in the day, you know, I was like, as a, you always want to have like niche products, you know, you don't work with the big companies. I mean, like back in the day, that was the mindset we have as a bartender. So I wasn't working with big companies. And then I got invited by Bacardi uh, to Taste of the Cocktail, stopping by New York. like so my first time I went to New York, was thanks to Bacardi, so I had like three amazing days in New York with Julian Lafont, that I used to be like the great good ambassador. And then so after we went for a week in town. So we did all the activations. So I was actually like, like, kind of. That was my second time in town. So I was still learning about New Orleans. My second time in New Orleans as well. So mm-hmm. everything was kind of new, and I, and I could see like all the activations, programs, that Where people were having like an amazing time. And there's one specific night we had this founders' dinner, where all the the Bacardi, the, the ambassadors bartenders of Bacardi that are in town, with their guests, come together in one venue that we all have a, a dinner together. And I see like everybody's having a good time, all the brand ambassadors loving, hugging each other. That was pre COVID, so we could hug people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we used to do that, you know. <laughs> I remember. And, I miss hugging. Uh, uh, and the thing is, like, and I looked at Julian. so at this time I had like only uh, the syndicate. And I looked at Julianne and I was like, you know, I've never considered being a brand ambassador. But if I do, seeing all of you, I like, had this good time, this good, uh, this good, creating like good souvenirs and experiences. like, if I do, I'm there for Bacardi. And so I think this uh, dropped in his mind. And so uh, two years later, Ducey was opening the position for the first global brand ambassador. There. And it was like, I think you'll be the right fit for this position. And so that's how we started the discussion. But yeah, I wouldn't have done like a brand ambassador for any company. Bacardi is because I felt that was a company that was fit, feeding me. And Ducey, like, this is a product and category that completely fits me. So it was just, I, I wouldn't have. Done left what I had in Paris to be, I don't know, like a sake ambassador in uh, Mexico, you know? You wasn't like into like, <laughs> being the ambassador, it was being presented the sake that, that it showed to me.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, that, that is very wise and, and a good career choice. And, and, you, and you did a lot of research before that. There, there's got, you got to go something at a place in a company, it's got to be the right fit. And also, I know for you, there was a big change going from from one company to another. So why did you make the leap? <sighs>
2: Yeah, I was, as you mentioned, I was together with one company for eight years and just covering Baltics. So I was responsible for three Baltic markets, which is Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, the country where you are from originally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> some, was one of my ancestors. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, that was covering all of the portfolio of WGS products, which was Telemorju, Hendrix Gin, Glenfiddich, Balveni, Single Malt, Monkey Shoulder, Grants as well, and Blended Scotch. So I was doing all of this, which was fun and basically kept me really busy, but obviously time went by and I kind of, my wings grew and I wanted to get a little bit more and more and the company kind of could not offer me, you know, something more. So you just remained here in, in, in Baltics, but I wanted to kind of like spread my wings a little bit and then came this offer. And as I mentioned yesterday as well, it really kind of made me feel super, super kind of sad and not like kind of broke my heart. But I had some heartache about leaving this wonderful um, people and everything that we kind of experienced together. Same going to syndicate as well that one crazy night. And so, yeah, I decided to make a change just, you know, eight years in one, one spot anyway. So you have to make a change. And if you can't make a change within the same company, just stepping up or getting some different position, then probably you have to change the position in total. So overall, and yeah, the, the, the offer came in, I made a decision, which wasn't actually over one night. It was like about seven months of decision to make, which I was thinking through. And mm-hmm. basically connecting all the dots, finally, I decided for myself, yes, this is something I want to do. This is super challenging. It's a new brand as well, which did not exist until four years from now. So basically, yeah, it's 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 going to be four years this August since since the brand was launched in 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 general. So yeah. and that was that was additional challenge. So new new brand, what can I do? What I'm capable of? And also, if, if, if it's tequila, it's hundred percent agave tequila. It's even better. And it is not super premium tequila. So it also kind of gives me an opportunity to remain myself, as I kind of when I am in front of the audience, I can be myself. I don't have to be you know this uh, smart, which I like wearing a suit, but I really like it, but not on a daily basis when I have to do my work. So, which was fun. And it still remains within the cocktail industry, which I'm where I'm from. So I still have a chance to be behind the bar and making cocktails, making, doing guest shifts. Travel, obviously, is one of the things that I love a lot. And travel the world, you get to meet people, you get to see people. That definitely is a benefit that I have to mention. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And it's it's that that
0: all that all makes sense. And the reason, and and it it being hard for you to leave, it is hard. I mean, I was with Diageo. I worked for the agency that worked with Diageo for over fifteen years. So I was the, their brand ambassador and mixologist for a 10. And when I had to leave and I was making the decision, I got an offer from Anheuser-Busch and I had definitely hit my career peak. And I had changed roles within the company multiple times. And I had hit a place where I just couldn't go anywhere. And I tried, I, I pitched ideas, like I wanna do this, we could create this. And I just couldn't get a foothold. And so I was getting frustrated and Anheuser-Busch offered me a job and, and, I was, and it was a huge job. And I was like, out of my depth, I was like, but sure, if you're willing, it's a great job. But it was really hard. It was so different. I was back in corporate. I was back in the office completely different role of working as a global manager and, and, you know, working in beer. And I cried like my last day at, at Diageo was tails. It was like tails 2014. I was like, my Sunday was like my last day. I was able to use my expense account
1: oh, wow. <laughs> and head
0: off. And I started bawling at the table. I was like, <gasps> he's like crying at the table because it's it, it's hard. It's like you get an emotional attachment to the company and the people you're with. So, you know, there's definitely, I mean, it was the best thing I ever did because it expanded my world. It, 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 I had to learn different skill sets and, and a new position. I, I made a lot of even more more money. It was a bigger pay rise. And now it's like you know, I, I'm now working for myself now because after working for the two biggest companies in the world, I said, "Well, if I can do that, I can work for anybody." So I'm also well working for myself. So it gave me it gave me the the balls or the courage to to do what I'm doing now, which which is I'm very grateful for. So yeah, it it might you know you one day you might look like ah maybe that wasn't, but it's I think it's always the right move. You make a change, you're learning something new wherever it takes you. You're always going to take something away from it. So it's I think it's always can be a good thing to do if you hit your ceiling in a company. So guys, we're I know I've I've had you guys here for a long time because we've had our technical difficulties. So thank you again for your patience. And this has been fantastic. Fantastic. I, I do want to wrap up. If I can ask one more question, if you guys are good. Can I ask one more question? Why do okay. Well, because the one thing I wanted to ask, and when we started talking about this yesterday, is what skill sets have you now had to acquire now that you become a brand ambassador? Like what was something you didn't have before and now that you have had to learn how to do and it's made you better, like overall?
1: I would say organization is, uh, is one of the main because, you know, I've always been like a freestyler and like doing the things as I feel. And so when I was bartender, since I was like still doing my job well, I didn't have any issue with like the above. Then I became my my own boss. So I had like the relation with my partner that was like asking like for results and all of this, but still I was like enjoying my freestyling style, I would say. Then now working for a big company like Bacardi, we need to do reports. We need to, I mean, like they need to know what's happening on the field and all of this. So I have to do my weekly talk on Mondays. It's still Wednesdays that I haven't done it. Yeah. I, I'm, learning, I'm learning how to be organized. Is there any new I mean, tricks like, you've
0: learned to be organized? Is there anything you've learned for yourself You like that you do?
1: Forcing myself off the day of admin. But even though these days sometimes can just get controlled. And I was like, I have uh, no Mondays, my day of admin. But you know, I was like the whole week in Atlanta last week. I uh, came back like Sunday 8th. I took care kind of the Monday like more, you know, as oh, I feel a bit. And the cool thing is like still like working with the with uh, with these like I have a I have a really nice freedom. They're not really on my back, so I I do things because I mean like because I have to and just to get all the information in the in the database. But still they're not really like crazy. I mean like they let me they they understand who I am. They. Teach me how to organize myself because it's a need. But see, they to. They, they don't work hard to change me. Right. So that's why I love with these companies because they take me as I am. They they give me all the tips I need to improve myself. But they're not like you know like busting my head like being crazy behind me. So yeah, I I mean I've been learning like, how to. I I, I, perfect, I, I perfect my PowerPoint uh, presentation with last uh, year. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, I mean like yeah, it's organization, organization mostly. I, I can send
0: a- you some tips on that if you if you want i i, yes, I do an entire organization as seminar of best practices and it's actually part of a training module that i'm doing for my brand ambassador academy and for you onsis like is there anything you've learned like a new skill set you had to learn that it wasn't from the bar world because you now work with corporate oh yeah that was uh,
2: many many to be honest with you but that that's already a long time ago which basically i kept learning throughout these years I was filling in this bag with all the additional new knowledge, and everything I I learned within last eight years with the with the whiskey company now gives me definitely advantage doing my work with tequila. But one thing that I really would like to acquire is I want to learn Spanish. Ah, uh, yeah, I that's probably that's a good one because Spanish is a big language anyway. It's it's huge. So I speak a little bit French though, which makes it easier for me because French and Spanish they are kind of similar. There's some, some similarities. So, but that would be the, the next thing that I'd probably be happy to to learn.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, especially being a Dakila yeah. ambassador.
1: Are, are you currently learning? Pardon? Are you really learning actually? Like right now, are you learning Spanish or not, not yet? You
2: not yet. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get that far yet. But that's 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 one thing that I would like to mm, to achieve. Hmm.
0: And then now with online, I'm sure you can get some great online Spanish courses or a tutor.
2: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, there's many, plenty of options. I just have to pick one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I always wanted to learn French, as I said, but I, I, yeah, and I took French lessons and I I actually, because I worked for a French company for a while when I worked in fashion. Before I got into the liquor industry, I worked in fashion for eight years. And I worked for a French company and uh, they always spoke French in front of me and said, and, and I was like, I need to understand what they're saying. But yeah, it's
2: not very good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. Philip speaks yeah. French, so Sullivan, <laughs> to get him drunk. He speaks. Learn is that obviously PowerPoint, same as you, uh, Sullivan mentioned already. I didn't know about that anything before. Also how to organize the room for the, how to lay out all the things, the sequence of your presentation, the way you're going to act, basically to put a scenario On the paper before you go out so all these things but it just kept coming by time went by and uh, so you just feel that year after year you 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 become more confident i don't want to use the word because i'm not the judge who would say that that's the audience who says that are you better or not but you definitely feel more confident about what you're doing yeah that is that's a long shot so if if there's self-confidence in in this then you'll probably feel much better and safer on the stage or when you are in front of the audience. And also,
0: no, absolutely. You- and, when, and Sullivan, you mentioned this. Sorry, on this. I,
1: I, I would add for anybody that wants to become brand ambassador, don't be afraid of like taking some public classes, speaking classes, mm-hmm. because like, this is something that this is this is this is your tool basically. You speaking to people, so this the thing you need to have one of the main tools that you need of skills that you need to have as a brand ambassador is to be able to speak in front well of, of uh, two people, 50 people, 1,000 people, and just like still delivering the message. Of course, it is your food, but uh, the more you do, the more you get better at it. And then, you know, it's just like, and you keep like kind of like sending the same message. So you know your message. So yep. just be, be confident in your shoes and, and deliver it.
0: No, absolutely. And something you also said to me yesterday was, and it's something I've heard before, is Learning to cater your message to their audience because every audience is different oh. and they don't and, and I think we, we I think we talked about that too, Hans is that you know every audience is different. So the consumer is different from the trade, from the distributor. So even the type of audience you have, you need to cater your message to the time. Like if you have 10 minutes versus five minutes versus an hour, you know, what do you need to be knowledgeable about? And that is something that you need to learn quickly because it's like, oh Mm -hmm. crap, they don't care about the fermentation. They just want to know like the four facts about like what they need to sell this brand because they're a
2: distributor. Well, you you definitely have heard about this uh, the elevator talk, mm-hmm, the elevator pitch. Yeah, well, the elevator is, is the best. So you you have just like what you have like less than a minute to sell mm-hmm. me whatever you're selling.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely get your elevator pitch down and and know it well. Well, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. You guys have shared a lot of knowledge and a lot of patience because it sticks a lot longer than we were planning. So for any of you who have tuned in, and this will be live on on the page for the next two weeks. So I know a lot of people watch this afterwards when they have the time. So guys, it's been so nice getting to know you a little better. I know Sullivan, I've known for a little bit longer, but also, so when I want to go to Lithuania, I, you're going to be my guide if you don't mind. And I look forward to you when you come to finally come to America or and and meet the team here. It'd be great to take you out. And uh, Sullivan, one of these days, I look forward to meeting your beautiful daughter and your wife because I think I've only met her once. So that, that yeah, would be great.
1: We okay need to fix that. And uh, okay, we're in okay.
0: What? You're in we're the Android. neighborhood. Yeah, we are, really are. We are neighbors. You're going to have to come over. So, but gentlemen, thank you so much and have a great rest of the day and evening. And I look forward to seeing you both soon in person. Cheers. Thank Thank you for having
1: us. Cheers to everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Love it to meet you and this. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Bye -bye,
0: (laughs) Bye. Thank you for tuning in again. This is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of celebrating the brand ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid hit subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review and share on your social media. Also follow me at Duff on the rocks to tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook and say hi, or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, DuffOnTheRocks.com or BeverageBA.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name.
1: Cheers, everyone.